Good morning, everyone. If you've got your Bible and uh, you'd like to follow along with our lesson this morning, uh, our, it'll be coming from the book of Genesis, and we'll be covering the entire chapter 13, Genesis 13. And the title of our lesson this morning is Choices. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, Denver uh, on business, and just, just west of Denver is the uh, what is known as the Continental Divide. Now, the Continental Divide, if you didn't know this, uh, the reason, it, obviously the name infers that it divides the continent, but, but it, it divides it in what way? Well, the way it divides it is as, as to water flow. Uh, for example, all the water to the left of the Continental Divide uh, flows toward the Pacific Ocean, and all the water to the east of the Continental Divide flows toward the Atlantic Ocean. And so you basically, it's a high point of land from which the water flows in different directions. And it's told that there's a stream that runs along the Continental Divide, and it comes to a certain point where that drop of water has to make a choice, right, or, or, or has to go one way or the other. And if it goes to the left, uh, then it goes to the Colorado River, eventually to the Gulf of California, and finally into the Pacific Ocean. If it goes to the right, it flows into the Mississippi River, and then to the Gulf of Mexico, and then to the Atlantic Ocean. So you got one little drop of water, or two drops of water in this case, and one going one small turning point determines two entirely different destinations. Now, I bring that up because our choices in life are a lot like those drops of water. I mean, I think we'd all agree that choices are important. And they're important because the choices that we make lead to consequences in our lives. Sometimes that's for the good. And then sometimes that is for the bad. And many choices in life are, are like that drop of water. At, at, the, at the time, they don't seem very significant. It might be a minor thing, a small thing. But that choice can then set in motion a series of events which eventually shape your life and the lives of your children and even the lives of your grandchildren after you. For example... Many, many folks would say how they met their wife or they met their husband is they chose to a, a, maybe attend an event. Maybe they went to a, a party or they went to a, a concert or they went to you know something they were invited to. And, and again, the original choice wasn't a big deal, but the outcome turned out to be life-changing because it led to a relationship which forever affected uh, their lives, and as I mentioned earlier, their children's lives as well. A teenage boy chooses to ride with a friend who's been drinking, and there's an accident that scars him for life. A, a teenage girl goes to a party and chooses to take a drink. Um, that drink may be spiked with something, and she ends up being assaulted or pregnant or with a venereal disease. You see, small decisions can have momentous consequences. And, and that's almost scary when you think about it because we're not, we're not prophets. We can't see down the road and, and know how this decision or what consequences this decision is going to have for us. So the question becomes, how can we protect ourselves from making bad choices? Well, it turns out 
that the story of Lot here in Genesis 13 can teach us some crucial lessons about choices. Now, at this point, I want to kind of jump ahead a little bit. There's a show on TV called Intervention. And uh, as the name implies, it's a show about uh, people who have addictions and their families uh, eventually do an intervention with them and try to get them into, into treatment. But this, uh, this show has a, a particular style. And what I mean is, is when, you, when the show opens, they always open and they show the person at their very worst. They show them, you know, lying in a in a rat infested room with a needle in their arm, or they they show them passed out on a on a street gutter or something. In other words, they start with it as bad as it can be, and then they then they roll the tape back to the beginning of their life and they go through and show how it came to this to that point. Well, this is kind of what we're going to do this morning with with Lot. We, we as we open the story about Lot, we want to kind of move ahead to chapter 19, and we want to show Lot where he eventually is going to end up. Genesis 19, 30 to 36 says this, Now Lot went up out of Zoar, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and they made their father drink wine, and they lay with him, and thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. So, so we're we're beginning today in in chapter thirteen. So, at our, at the point in our story, none of this has happened. But if we pull back the curtain and look down the years, we'll see Lot eventually living in a cave, drunk, committing incest with his daughters. Now, the question becomes: How did you end up like that? What what choices did you make that brought you to that point? Well. It all starts in chapter 13 with a single choice. So we'll roll back the tape now to chapter 13 and we'll see what choices Lot makes that eventually will have him in a cave, drunk, committing incest with his daughters. Genesis 13.1 So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, you'll remember just very quickly, will we'll Abram and Lot's journey, they started in Ur of Chaldea, they went up the Euphrates, they stayed in Haran until uh, Abram's dad died, they came down through Canaan, eventually there was a famine, they went into Egypt, had some issues there, and then they've, now they've turned around and they've headed back up into the Negev, which is basically the southern part of, of Canaan. Verse 2. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. You'll remember that when the um, Egyptian, king, uh, Egyptian pharaoh sent him away, he, he sent him with all kind of gifts that he had given him uh, in exchange for his wife, Sarah. Uh, and you can, you can read that in, uh, in chapter 12. Verse 3, And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great 
that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, as we move through this story, we're going to see there's a, there's a very clear progression in how things happen. And this, the issues all begin with wealth. Increased wealth eventually leads to increased strife. You see, they've gotten so much stuff, so much livestock, so much servants, so many servants, that there's simply not enough land for each of them. Uh, in addition, the Bible mentions the Canaanites and the Perizzites, so they have to share with them as well. Now, keep in mind that there's, there's strife now in their, in their relationship. Now, there's strife, but they didn't seem to have that problem before in all their travels. They traveled 1,400 miles from Ur up to Haran. They traveled probably another 14 or 1,500 miles down to Egypt. They've never had strife before. But now they do. So what's different? Well, what's different is wealth. You know, I asked myself the question, where did we ever get the notion that wealth will solve all of our problems? I mean, some of the most unhappy families in the world are the ones with the most money, where one member is set against the other, trying to make sure that person gets his portion of the the inheritance. Now, just as an as an information for your information, Genesis 13 is the very first mention of wealth in the Bible, and we see here at the very first mention of it, it can be a blessing, but it also can be very dangerous. Increased wealth always results in increased potential for evil or, or for good. We've said it many many times in our class. Money itself. It's not good or bad. It's just paper. It's just it's just metal. It's just it's just a thing. But giving money to a fallen human being is like giving a loaded gun to a five-year-old. That you know we all know a five-year-old is not mature enough to handle a loaded gun. And in the same way, a sinner apart from Christ is is not capable of properly handling money. It's just it's like an immature five-year-old handling. A gun. The only way you can properly handle money is to be constantly yielded to the Holy Spirit. And when I say constantly, I mean 24-7. And if we're honest, there are probably very few people in this world who meet that description. So increased wealth leads to increased strife and increased choices. Let's start it again in verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, I want you to keep in mind, we're at a point here where Abram and Lot are going to separate. And Abram finally will be completely separate from all of his relatives. But keep in mind that God had told Abram to leave his relatives a long, long time ago. See, to obey God, Abram probably should have left his father and his lot behind and, and his nephew Lot behind in Ur. But he didn't. He brought them both along for the journey. <clears throat> and here we are years later. 
And Abram is finally reluctantly acknowledging that a separation needs to take place, not as a matter of obedience, but just as a matter of practical expediency. See, here's the thing. One way or another, God's will is going to be done. Let me say that again. One way or another, God's will is going to be done. It could have been done by Abram back in Ur, but it wasn't. So God providentially brings about an irritation and a competition between Abram and Lot, which basically forced a separation to occur. So sooner or later, God's purposes do come to pass. Hopefully, you and I will obey when told to do something by God. But even if we don't see the need for obedience, God will just create a need. You can count on that. So here they are years later, and they're finally going to separate. The only question is, who's going to leave and who's going to stay? And the person that leaves, where is he going to go? So Abram does something very unusual. He leaves that decision to Lot. He gives Lot the advantage, and he leaves himself vulnerable to Lot's decision. So here Lot is, and he's facing this choice. Now, he doesn't know it at this point, but this choice is going to make a huge, drastic difference in his life. The consequences of this choice are going to be horrendous for him. So how will he choose? Let's pick up in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in our on the screen, I've got a, a picture of the Jordan Valley today. And uh, it's a picture of the valley, the Jordan River is flowing through it. Uh, It's very lush, it's very green. You can see crops uh, planted on the the hillsides, plenty of trees and grass. I mean, it's a very well-watered, fertile uh, area. So Lot sees that, and he makes the very worst choice of his life. Now, he did something that many American Christians still do today. He made a major life decision based on the assumption that pursuing prosperity should be the main goal in this life. He made a major life decision based on the assumption that pursuing prosperity should be the main goal in this life. I mean, just think about it. How many people have moved their families for a better paying job? Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily right or necessarily wrong, but if you do it without even considering how the move will affect them and their family spiritually, well, you've got a problem. When you make decisions based on finances and not spiritual reasons, you've got a problem. Now, in this life, you can't escape from living near sinners. That's not the point here. In fact, Where Abram was in Canaan was almost as bad as Sodom. But making decisions based purely on financial reasons, it has the potential to come back and haunt us as it certainly did for Lot and his family. In fact, let's go back to verse 11 and 12 very quickly. Or let's pick up again with verse 11 and 12. So Lot chose for himself 
all the Jordan Valley, and he journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, and Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that this is a very selfish decision. In fact, when you think about what other options did he have, it's fairly obvious that the simplest and fairest separation would have been to make the Jordan River the boundary between the two men. In other words, Lot could have said, I'll go to the other side of the Jordan, and you stay on this side of the Jordan, and they both would have had access to uh, the fertile areas. But that's not what happened. In fact, it says Lot chose all the valley of the Jordan. See, he took that because he thought, I can prosper there. I mean, he just took it all. He did a he did a really good job of looking out for number one. But he never considers the spiritual implications of moving his family to Sodom, or even near Sodom. Verse 13, in, in fact, says this, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You see, Lot looked and he saw the land, he saw the water, he saw the crops, he saw the trees, but he didn't see the wickedness in the city of Sodom. <clears throat> now, as I said earlier, we've already seen where this story is going to end. He's going to be living in a cave, scared to death, with two daughters, drunk, committing incest. Now, this verse, this story, in verse 11 in particular, tells us why Lot chose for himself. He chose for himself, and he and his family paid an awful, awful price. So what we've seen here is that choices can have eternally significant consequences. So how do we make good choices? Well, first of all, we must choose in line with God's principles. You know, we all know uh, Jesus said it's possible to gain the whole world and lose your soul. There's so much more in life than the outward and material and the temporary things. We are to base our choices on the principles that are found in God's Word, not on the assumptions of our culture. Now, let's be honest. These principles encompass the whole Word of God. But there are four basic principles that we find in today's story. Four basic principles that I want to point out. Number one, we should always, when making choices, we should always value relationships over our rights. Relationships over rights. You see, Abram had every right to choose whatever land he wanted and to let Lot take the leftovers. After all, Abraham is the leader. He's the, he's the chief of the clan. He's the older man. Um, not to mention the fact that God had given the land to Abram, not to Lot. So he had every right to, to choose. But Abram yields his rights, and he trusted God to give him his portion. You see, what mattered most to Abram was, we are kinsmen. He said it. We are, in other words, we are family. <clears throat> he valued his relationship with Lot over his right to choose the best land. You see, so much strife could be avoided in our families and in the church if we would follow Abram's example. 
put a premium on relationships, set aside our rights, and let the Lord take care of us. So the next time you're about to quarrel with someone, which is a choice, stop and think, is this quarrel uh, rooted in godly principles? For example, are you taking a stand for the truth? Are you confronting sin? Or is it just rooted in plain old selfishness? Our general rule of thumb as Christians should be Romans 14, 19. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Number two, when making choices, we should always value godliness over greed. By faith, Abraham had already renounced everything visible and opted for the unseen promises of God. He did that when he left Ur. When God says, get up, leave everything you can see, and go to a land that I will show you, right? So he says, okay, I'm going to renounce everything I can see, and I'm going to opt for something that I can't see. So you see, he had already decided that in his heart that he was going to live by faith, not by sight. So he didn't need to choose by sight the way that Lot did. He let he let the Lord handle that. In fact, I want you to notice the deliberate contrast in the Bible between verses 10 and 14. In verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. But in verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Lift up your eyes. See, Lot lifts up his own eyes. He chooses by sight. The Lord chooses for Abraham, and then he tells Abraham, lift up your your eyes. Look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. In other words, look to the east. You see where Lot just went? That's going to be yours. C.S. Lewis has a quote, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither one. See, if you've got God, you've got everything. If you don't have God, you've got absolutely nothing. Verses 15 and 16. He says, For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. In my mind's eye, I've got a picture of Abram and he's standing there and he's watching uh, uh, Lot leave for the, you know, the plush, well-watered Jordan Valley. And, and maybe his eyes fall on the dusty soil all around him. And it's like the Lord said to him, you see all that dust? You see the dust under your feet? If you can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. You see, Lot chose by sight and he ended up spiritually and financially bankrupt. Abram chose by faith, and in India, he ended up uh, spiritually and financially blessed. Lot lived for greed and came up empty. Abram lived for God and came up full. Charles Simeon, who was a, an old British or English preacher uh, from 1759 to 1836, he gave the following criteria for evaluating ourselves when it came to greed. He said, ask yourself three questions. What do you seek? What do you enjoy, and how do you mourn? What do you seek? Do you find yourself thinking more about the things of this world than about God? Does the thought of having those things bring you more pleasure than thoughts about God? Are we willing to violate our conscience or our spiritual duties to pursue those things? If any of those things or all of those things are true, 
then we are being governed by greed, not godliness. What do you enjoy? There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things that God provides us. But if we start thinking, man, if I just had such and such, I'd be happy. Then what we've done is we've shifted our trust from God to material things and we are being governed by greed. And and, and the third one is how do you mourn? How do you mourn the loss of things in this world? We're not to be, as a Christian, we're not to be devoid of feelings. But if our joy rides on our possessions or if we're filled with anxiety and grief, if we lose them, then we're being governed by greed and not by godliness. The third principle that we see in this story about making choices is that when we make choices, we should value God's approval over the world's approval. Lot has often been criticized for moving to Sodom, as he probably well should be. But as I mentioned earlier, both Abram and Lot live in corrupt cultures. In fact, to compare the Canaanites with the Sodomites is like comparing Stalin with, with Hitler. They're both bad. The question is, why did Abram remain untainted, but Lot became corrupted? Let's look at verse 17 through 18. God says to Abram, Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And Abram moved his tent, and he went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Once again, we see two things that marked Abraham's life of faith, the tent and the altar. The tent and the altar. That signifies Abram the pilgrim and Abram the worshiper. You see, you don't ever find Lot building an altar. Never. No matter where he goes, we don't, we, we don't see him uh, building an altar. And then finally, we'll find him in, in chapter 14, we'll find him moving out of his tent and moving into the city of Sodom. See, that was the difference between the two men. It wasn't necessarily where they lived. It was the attitude of their heart. One was uh, one saw that land as, as not being his home. The other one said, yes, this is my home. Right? One, one built an altar and looked to, to God. The other did not. And that was Lot's real problem is, is that he settled down in the world to the point that he blended in with their corruption. You see, as Christians, there's a tension that we always face. If we pull out of the world too far, for example, the Amish or, or, a, or monks in a monastery, we lose our witness because there's no contact with the world. On the other hand, if you blend in with the world too much, you lose our witness because we're, we're, not, we're no different. We're not set apart. You see, Jesus was able to walk this line beautifully. He was the friend of sinners, but he was never tainted by their sin. So how did he do it? Well, he did it by putting a premium on fellowship with the Father. He never sought the approval of the, of the world. He was in the world, but he had a clear sense of his mission in the world, which was to glorify God and to seek and save the lost. If we want to line up with Abraham rather than with Lot, we have to be people of the tent and the altar, pilgrims and worshipers, here to bear witness of the one true God. We must put fellowship with God above the approval of the world in all of our decisions. Finally, number four, when making choices, we should value God's promises over the world's pleasure. Lot's choice of Sodom was based on what would bring him instant gratification. 
But he acted without faith. He didn't take into account God's promise to Abram about the land. As believers, we are to live by faith in the promises of God. When we face decisions, we are to take God into account and make those decisions in line with His promises, His principles, and His purposes, not the immediate gratification of the flesh. Titus 2.11-13 says this, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. Most of us tend to think of Christian commitment as this one bold decision to forsake everything and follow Jesus. Now, and of course, there's a sense in which that is true. We do have to make that kind of commitment. But here's the thing. You see, Lot had done that. He had left his family and his friends in Ur to go with Abram to the promised land. He had made that one big, bold decision. Lot's problem, like many of us today, is not in the big, bold decision It's in making the many small decisions. Here's another way to look at it. Let's say all you have to your name is a $1,000 bill. Now, some people would say that a commitment to Christ is like laying that bill on the table and saying, some would say that a commitment to Christ is like laying that bill on the table. You know, here's my life, Lord. I'm, I'm giving it all to you. But the reality is that God would send most of us to the bank and have us cash in that $1,000 bill for quarters. Because the fact is we go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there, in small deeds of faithfulness and obedience. You see, it's in those 25-cent choices. It's those 50-cent choices, those small things that our lives take their direction. You see, a life of faith is lived in the little choices that we make every single day. That concludes our lesson for today. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next week.